Hello, SJ Childs family, as well as new listeners and viewers. We're excited to be a part of the Rise and Outshine show. And tonight, I have a special and informative show for you all. Dr. Stephen Mark Shore is an American autistic professor of special education at Adelphi University. He's written several books on autism, College for Students with Disabilities, Understanding Autism for Dummies, Ask and Tell, and Beyond the Wall. Today, we asked Stephen to join us and share his ideas of autism in society today and also share his upcoming project with PBS Broadcasting. Welcome to the SJ Child Show, where a little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. Enjoy the show. Good morning and evening for those of you who are listening at another time of day. It's so nice to be here today. I have a wonderful, wonderful guest for this um, segment today. Uh, those of you who do not know uh, Dr. Stephen Mark Shore, who, as you heard in the introduction, is an autistic professor. And today I've invited him to kind of go over some brief questions that we have. And then I'm just really excited to talk about a new project that he is going to be a part of too. So without further ado, good day to you, sir. Well, good day to you and uh, great to see you again. Yes, great to see you. Tell everybody in the audience um, a little bit about yourself. Taking it from the beginning, uh, things were pretty typical at first. And then at 18 months, like what happens to about 30% of us, I was struck with the regressive autism bomb, where I lost functional communication, had meltdowns, withdrew from the environment, and a brief became a very autistic little kid. There was so little known about autism in those days that it took my parents a year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, probably the best thing to say is that my parents, like we see ever-increasing numbers of parents, uh, including you, uh, advocated for my kid, uh, for their kid, and refuted the professional's recommendations for institutionalization and convinced the school to take me in about a year. And so it was during that year my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program, a program emphasizing music, movement, sensory integration, narration, imitation, probably in today's terminology, because in those days even the concept of early intervention didn't even exist, it would be more of a developmental, play-based, child-centered type of approach, like the Miller Method or Floor Time or RDI in nature. And with the work my parents did, speech began to return at age four. And what did they do? Well, first they tried to get me to imitate them. And imitation's a time-honored strategy. Everybody uses it. But perhaps due to a difference in mirror neurons, it didn't work. And it doesn't for many autistic people. So my parents flipped it around and imitated me. <laughs> and once they did that, I became aware of them in my environment. 
And then they were able to move me along. I love that. And by so by age four, speech is beginning to come back. I entered the school that initially rejected me. I get reevaluated instead of being considered as psychotic and ready for an institution. I got upgraded to neurotic. So things were moving up in the world. Often we hear about the highly focused interests of autistic people. And my first one was when I was discovered by my parents at age four, taking apart a watch with a sharp knife. So I'd pop open the back, remove the motor, extract some of the gears, spin them around and put it all back together again. And the watch still worked and the pieces, no pieces left over either. So, uh, and kudos to my parents for recognizing my strengths and soon bringing all kinds of other devices to take apart and put together. Now, what's an interesting question is we know that many autistic people have difficulty with handwriting, as I did. One of the worst experiences I could have in school would be to walk into a room with a paragraph on the board because it meant we were probably going to have to copy it down. <laughs> right. And by the end of the period, I had gotten through a few words and everybody else had gone to recess. So what is an interesting question is how could I have the fine motor control, which you need for both taking apart watches and for writing and probably even need more for taking apart watches. And then where did that fine motor control when it came to penmanship? So there's a lot of interesting speculation, theories neurological bases that I refer you to your favorite occupational therapist for further information. But this is also a uh, an example of a very clear example of the sharp lines of demarcation between the strengths and abilities that autism gives us and also the very real disabilities coming with being autistic. And that's a hallmark of autism that's not often discussed. Extreme strengths coupled with extreme challenges and often not that much in the middle. So what am I doing today? Uh, I'll refer you to my autobiography, Beyond the Wall, if you want to see what happened between then and now, where I'm a professor of special education at Adelphi University. I also teach at other area schools, such as NYU, for the st study abroad program in autism. And for uh, recently in uh, Hofstra University, which is a couple miles away, they asked me if I teach a course on neurodiversity. So sure, why not? So that. that's what I do here, focusing mostly on autism, both in teaching and in research. Uh, and uh, when I'm not at the university, I travel around the world up to uh, 58 countries so far. So that that keeps me busy. Yeah. And uh, also, I've been involved in the, the most recent activity is with the Spiffy Entertainment, uh, um, helping to produce uh, the first uh, animation series where an autistic character is the lead oh, uh, for PBS TV. PBS for kids specifically. And my job as a consultant is to make sure that the autistic characters are authentically autistic. Fantastic. And what a better person to do that than you. 
and your journey that you've been on and all that you're doing for not only the autistic community, but really for PBS kids, for the entire community generation of children to come and the information and uh, knowledge that you're providing for them to take with them into their daily practice and lives and help serve the community in a better way. So what a beautiful way to do that and to honor your path and your passions in, in that. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you and excited for you at the same time. Oh, thank you. I, I wanted to just tell the audience so that they're um, aware what the prevalence of autism is today um, in the U.S., one in 36, yet you and I know that that doesn't include me, a late diagnosed autistic. It doesn't include the under and undiagnosed and so many others. Yeah, it is, it is pretty uh, uh, pretty amazing that the uh, recognized prevalence has gone from one in 10,000 where autism was thought to be a rare psychiatric uh, condition caused by poor parenting, usually poor mothering. So mothers received all of this yeah, undeserved blame for causing autism. And I suppose the only thing you could, if you want to use the word blame, or at least tie the cause of autism to mothers and dads would also be equally implicated, is the passing on of some genetic material. Yeah. Because we know that autism, the best minds in research believe that autism starts with a genetic predisposition, which then gets triggered by something else. Yeah. And we don't exactly know what that something else is in the <laughs> environment. A lot of clues, but no specifics. Yeah. Interesting. The good news is. And, you know, like you're doing research, that's what right. we need to have done. And, and that's what we'll be, um, we'll be able to kind of measure up against later on in, in coming years. You had talked about some interventions that your parents had created for you. And, you know, also that I've seen so much wonderful advances and progress in my own family and in hundreds of community um, families here and around the country and world. What type of interventions do you recommend for families? Um, I think you, I think you need to do what best fits mm -hmm. because okay. part of my research, my dissertation involved comparing different approaches. And what I did is a, the reason behind this research, and one of them was to turn the conversation away from trying to prove which approach is the best to which approach best meets the needs or the profile of the autistic person at this time. So there'll be people who where ABA works perfectly for them, and that's exactly what they should do. And then there are others where perhaps a different approach, such as Miller Method or daily life therapy or floor time or RDI would be more appropriate. And so I think what we need to do is become more familiar with different approaches and what their, what their particular strengths are. Now, nobody can be an expert in all of them. So it's perfectly fine, and people should specialize in the ones that best uh, fit their philosophies and profiles as practitioners. However, it's important to know enough about the other approaches uh, to realize when, well, I think what I have doesn't isn't meeting my child, my client's needs, and I think I'm going to refer them over to the Miller Method 
practitioner down the street. And the mill method practitioner should be able to do the very same thing and say, no, there are some aspects of ABA that may be helpful for this child. So I'm going to go down the street and refer them to the ABA practitioner. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said that too, because it's really not a one size fits all type of experience in any way. It's so multi-leveled and so complex that every family should individualize it for their own child's needs and interests and and desires and strengths and all of the things, challenges. Um, We're going to kind of skip ahead from (laughs) um, early kids to, to employment, but what percentage of autistic adults today find employment after completing education? I know that that's kind of a big topic right now in society. Yeah, it is. And uh, what we know is that there is a combined under an unemployment rate of about 88%, or at least according to the National Autistic Society of the United Kingdom. So what that means is only 12% of us autistic people are in this rarefied um, situation of we're employed to our capacities. And what that represents is a massive waste in human potential, uh, to say the least. Uh, fortunately, there are some companies uh, that have recognized the value that autistic people can bring to the workplace and actively seek autistic individuals as their employers, employees, because they know in some areas uh, we can do things better and faster than anybody else. And these individuals are being hired not for charity reasons, not to give this poor autistic person who would never find a job a sort of made-up job, so they think they have a job, but the companies are doing what companies should be doing, Uh, what is the best economic sense for them, looking at the bottom line, and the uh, autistic person whose abilities, because they're autistic, allows them to do whatever they need to do for that job better than anybody else, and they're beginning to realize that. Yeah, it is so true, too, because there's such those, once again, back to those high interests and you find those strengths. And that's what we need to be as parents, as as teachers, as mentors for these individuals, find these programs, create these programs with these companies to start allowing more employment opportunities available in the community. And, you know, kind of moving into our last question, and, and that kind of plays right into it, how can companies and employers be more cognizant and and understanding accommodations for those employees that might be on the spectrum? Uh, One, get to know autistic people. Uh, Two, find companies who are already hiring autistic people and they have programs and they publicize it and let other people know. Get to know these companies and ask them uh, what they are doing. Also, seek out programs at universities, ever-increasing numbers of universities have programs specifically for autistic college students, those of us who are going to college. And often part of those programs include an employment component. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so important. And there's a lot autistic people can do. 
That's for sure. It has been so nice to catch up with you so quickly this morning. Oh, I know that it's been a fast, fast little session, but it's well, we'll do more. We will. We will absolutely do more. I'm just I'm so thankful for your time today. And before we do go, where can everyone go to find out more information about you, to find your books, all the good stuff? Oh, well, you can go to the following website, uh, com, And also you can find my books, uh, at least some of them, at uh, Future Horizons. I think it's fhautism.com. Dot com, but look up Future Horizons publishers, and you'll uh, you'll find a, find them right away. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time again. I am so excited for your uh, part of the PBS Kids. Uh, Carl the Collector, I think, is his name, right? And yeah, that'll be it. Yeah. so exciting to see that coming. Um, that'll be in 2024. For those of you who are wondering when that might be coming out. Again, thank you so much for your time today, and we'll definitely be in touch. All right. Look forward to when we meet again. Thank you, Stephen. Have a great day. Thanks, you too.